In this week's episode, despite the ever-present lawn equipment in the background, we do get a chance to share some very cool new books, from dualities in space to ever-changing vignettes. It's all happening now on Cover B. Hey everybody, welcome back to Cover B. Welcome back to Cover B. I hope everyone has had a good week. This week saw 420 land on a Wednesday, which was New Comics Day, and nothing else. <laughs> nothing else happened on April 20th. For nobody. For nobody. No one did anything different. Right? Correct. It was just a Wednesday. <laughs> I sound like... I really enjoyed Wednesday, but I didn't. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> sick. <laughs> well, we hope everyone had a good week. If you did any baking this week. Of, of brownies. I or, hope you had a good cookies. time. Uh, we are here to talk about comics. Yes. Some comics this week. <laughs> Don't know if you knew that, that comics come out weekly. All but the time. here we are. Yeah. Uh, first up, from Behemoth, uh, once again, Behemoth putting out amazing stuff, uh, Dark Beach number one. This was written by Michael J. Ruiz Unger with art by Sebastian Perez. Uh, this is a, how to describe it, a neo-noir book that takes place on an Earth that has long since left the solar system. We find out little kind of tidbits uh, mainly through the artwork that at some point there was some sort of cataclysmic event or uh, we discovered that the sun was hurting us to some degree. So this company that is ever-present um, kind of science coalition throughout the book, uh, our main character works for them but also does like photography, like crime scene photography for a friend of his that works at the newspaper. Um they created the satellites that push the Earth out of its orbit, sending it out into the blackness of space. Science! Uh, <laughs> this takes place uh, in a... I don't remember the name of the city, but a coastal city, like a beachside city. Said crime, fe crime scene photographer stumbles upon a murder victim in a some sort of VR headset. Uh, and then begins to kind of uncover, uh, utilizing connections that he has and things he found at the scene, uh, uncover the mystery behind this woman's death. Why he's interested, what the result of this will be, who knows? But it is a particularly dark book taking place on an Earth with no sun, uh, and it utilizes that darkness very, very well. T, what are your thoughts? One of the things that I think I liked the most about this book is that there is so much backstory and exposition mm -hmm. that's in no way detailed in a very straightforward mashit. Um, everything that happens kind of hints and picks and like notates on the circumstances of the earth no longer being around the sun and the earth being in like this own kind of like weird situation of darkness. But none of that is like, hey, everybody, this is how this works. It's just like there even is an overarching omniscient kind of narrator. But he, oh, that narrator only explicitly talks about our main character. Mm -hmm. At no point is it like this is what's going on with the sun, y'all. This is yeah. why this happened. It just happens and is discussed. And I love that. Yeah, like I said, most of the 
kind of setup of why the earth is the way it is happens in the panels themselves and less in the dialogue and the exposition yeah narration it's you know you see a character reading a book and the book's kind of giving you a brief idea of what happened with the world uh you know through dialogue and stuff we get established that the characters in the book never experienced real sun so it's been a long time the old uh, sun yeah so you know and there's things like sun bars where they have a bunch of sun lamps and people can feel quote unquote the sun so you know it establishes what the nature of people living in this dark world is and how just kind of normal it is uh for the most part and how the people that yearn for the sun are kind of considered niche subculture you weirdos know? yeah <laughs> it's a cool book i mean obviously being a neo-noir the darkness fits uh, but it also allows the artist to really kind of play with use of color and shading. Everything's really kind of drab color-wise. Uh, and it just lets him kind of toy around with that and gives the book this interesting kind of coastal city neon feel. The characters are fine. They're not really anything super interesting or different than what you would expect to find uh, in a book of this nature in a dark neo-noir coastal city kind of book. Uh, but the mystery is interesting. The idea of this VR headset and everyone seems kind of weird about like, why is she hooked into this thing? And, you know, these people that worship the sun or, you know, go to these sun bars and yearn for the old sun. Like, why is that? Um, there's a few interesting characters that we meet along the way and some sort of like, other parties investigating the same thing that we don't know what their motivations are yet. So, uh, interesting book. It's cool. I like it's a it. Neat and it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's a very neat concept that does well being a story on its own without just relying on that concept. Like the, yeah. the setting is just that it's a setting. Sometimes when you do these like unique sort of settings or you're like, what if we did this, but in this, the, in this, can be too much of the story you know right. it's like we're constantly like oh the sun am i right but you know this is kind of a cool mystery in and of itself it just happens to take place on a world with no sun yeah it's kind of like two parallel stories at the same time yeah. which is neat yeah it's cool I, I i'm into this behemoth is just devastating right now they're killing it uh, big time they are the company to watch because they are putting out some cool books. <laughs> uh, next up, we have a book called Corollary. This is from Sourcepoint Press. Uh, it's written by Adam Rose with art by Robert Ahmed. Uh, this book is another one with an interesting setting. Uh, it takes place in a galaxy where everyone is a twin. Everything. Planets are twins. Animals are twins. People are twins. Even robots are twins. Everything. There's this galactic law of twos that dictates this galaxy this universe that this story takes place uh if you die your twin dies if your twin dies you die you are connected cosmically to this other person their life matters we follow a young woman who is some sort of bounty hunter kind of odd job doer uh, who also happens to have a reputation for being the only person to ever survive her twin dying. And so there's a bunch of planets 
vying for her audience. They want to have her come over so they can test her and take her blood and take her spinal fluid and things like that. Uh, there are some that are doing it violently, sending out bounty hunters, and they want to like tear her apart and on a on a lab table dissector. But everyone's kind of vying for her attention to try to find out why she survived and maybe solve this cosmic law, solve this rule of twos. Uh, as the story goes on, she eventually chooses this planet called Corollary. Uh, their scientists want to just test her and uh, give her a ton of money. And we find out that maybe things aren't entirely as they appear in her situation. We also find out what happened to her twin, which is gruesome. Yikes. <laughs> T, thoughts? Yeah. I really liked this book. I really liked that there's kind of a parallel, like an, like an interesting use of very traditional sci-fi-esque look and feel and mm -hmm. like depictions of aliens and like the type of characters you see and like the AI voice in her head and like these types of things all feel very like traditional sci-fi movie or, or IP, like very traditional, but in a very like unique, interesting setting with the duality that you don't often get. So it's a pretty cool, like very new concept in a very like comfortable, traditional, familiar type setting at mm -hmm. the same time. Um, one thing that I did want to notate though, that I need writers to figure out because I'm kind of over it is that, there have been a lot of books lately coming out that are like space themed or take place in space or are very futuristic. And so they have like space flavor. And I feel like there's only maybe two or three names being given to any character in these environments. One of which is Andromeda. Mm -hmm. Not everybody needs to be named Andromeda. Um, there's other names. Um, I feel like when you leave Earth, you that opens you up to a lot of even more names you could give people mm -hmm. rather than the same like five space age names yeah. that were come up with in the like sixties and seven. Her name's Nebula. Yeah, like kind of thing. they might as well name everybody Xenon. Like, come on, Zedon. guys! Like, stop! Like, I'd actually be more okay with that. I think. Yeah, it's true. Like, the stop. Be creative. Do something different. Like, we get it. It's spacey. <laughs> Pick a different name. Yeah. This book was fun, aside from Andromeda. Uh, <laughs> take a brief break to apologize if you hear lawn equipment. We've been trying to record, and they just won't stop. Nope. So we don't really know if we'll ever have a window to record without them, so we're just hoping they shut up, and it's... Like, the second we got into the middle of the episode, they were like, hey, what if I <laughs> weed-whacked their window? So, uh, <laughs> apologies. But I like this book. I really like the art of this book. It's kind of soft. It's kind of uh, watercolory. Yeah. It's got a nice, like, it's, like, very soft, very cartoony. Uh, I will say that the artist doesn't do super well with action. Some of the pacing of action sequences is, like... The action's starting. It's over. Uh, That's very true. And <laughs> it's fine. Like, it's not for everybody. Uh, but I love the character designs and the world designs and the uh, the galaxy designs. And I love the use of color in this. It's really, really nice. 
uh, and it's a cool book. It's I again another really interesting setting, where the setting feeds into the story. The story isn't there so that the setting can exist. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. I feel like sometimes, as I said earlier, writers can be like. I really want this setting to happen. So I'm going to build my story to make sure people know the setting is, but it's like, just let the setting be the backdrop. And, uh, this does a good job of that. It's got a cool style to it. And it does, you know, kind of bebop in and out of like, there's like a weirdly red Sonia esque moment in the middle. The cover (laughs) looked like a red Sonia book, but it's a space book. Uh, but it's fun. And I, I like the twist it takes at the end. Yeah. You know, uh, I think that's going to be kind of a fun book. Uh, yeah, it's cool. It's Check very it neat. Cool it's, got, it's got a lot of opportunity to it. All right, finally, coming out of Scout. This, for whatever reason, is called a Scout premiere issue. I don't know what that means. Scout's doing all <laughs> kinds of different weird imprint stuff these days. This is called David Burns Cancelled. This was written by David A. Byrne. Uh, not talking heads david byrne i was shocked to find out oh <laughs> uh with art by uh multiple people because it's done in kind of vignettes so there's art by uh Pabliku man uh renan belmonte med manga and nick justice uh like i said this is done in multiple vignettes it opens with a story in black and white where a Mr. Rogers-esque child star gets replaced by a Bozo the Clown-esque child star and is angry about it. Uh, Not child star, like child show star. I forgot the word show. Uh, (laughs) Mr. Rogers-esque child show host. There we go. Yeah, there we go. That's a better word. Uh, Is replaced by a Bozo the Clown child show host. Uh, And he's mad. He goes to try to take out the uh, radio tower, the broadcast tower. Lightning hits it, he dies, but he becomes consumed in the airwaves. It's nice of them to lawn mow literally my windowsill. I'm happy for that. I'm wondering anyway. if they're in the house at Yeah, this they're point. just downstairs, like, hey, you mind if we leap blow down here? Um, <laughs> cats are freaking out. <laughs> Though with that many cats, it could probably use a leaf blow. I'm not it's gonna true. Lie. There's tumbleweeds. Might be helpful. <laughs> uh... So he gets sucked into the airwaves. He becomes sort of this entity in uh, in the TV signals, the TV lasers. Uh, and <laughs> he kicks off sort of a candle cove kind of thing uh, where he waits for kids to be isolated away from their parents. And then he takes over the narrative uh, and makes the clown suggest that they do terrible things. It's cool. It's fun. It's a B-movie-esque story and then it cuts that story ends and we roll into another story where we see two individuals were watching this as a movie and they go out and similar things happen to them and then that one cuts and we find out two individuals were watching that as a movie that similar things happen to them and then that cuts and so on and so forth it's a really interesting way of telling a horror story mm-hmm. feels very like uh tales from the dark side kind of stories yeah. rolling into stories rolling into stories um I liked it. I enjoyed it. I have some qualms with the writing, uh, but I really like the style of how it was done. T, what do you think? I also liked this one. I thought the structure of the vignettes was a really cool concept. Um, I like the kind of recurring theme of a villain throughout 
stories like almost breaking the fourth wall every time that it's introduced again and again and again um I think my biggest issue I know what your issues are and you're going to talk about those but Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that bothered me the most about this is that as the vignettes go on they get less and less attention and so it as as the story goes on you know I felt like the first story was super well established very well articulated it had a lot of time the characters were established like it made sense it worked out it felt really well written and then as the stories go on they get shorter and shorter and their influence is less and less and while that might have been like a stylistic choice I thought it actually did damage to the story because it kind of like watered down the vignettes into almost being like nothing like they felt more gimmicky than like an actual part of the story yeah in an episode where we've talked constantly about like interesting concepts and the execution of such i agree i think um i love the style of this i would love to see more one-shot horror books that kind of are stories rolling into stories rolling into stories and i think this one has a really cool way of doing it with it being like tv and film and stuff like that but you're you're exactly right like you know they get shorter they get less kind of impactful like with the last one being really just kind of like hey look it's a family oh there's evil clown man you know and it's like yeah okay (laughs) like you could have given them more attention and make them feel you know more valuable or more more daunting increase the tension more in them and it's possible that they just kind of like Oh, we should add another one on and just kind of rolled into them like this was an evolving process. Uh, but would have been cool. Would have been cool to have like more of a like fleshed out vignette each time. Yeah. You know, uh, personally for me, I just got to say writers, white writers. If you don't if you're not able to write non-white characters as not kind of racially insensitive maybe don't you know what i mean like yeah don't be leaning on stereotypes <laughs> so yeah the second the second story involves a black couple i think set in like the 70s maybe the 80s and it's very clear that the writer has a very specific idea of how black people would talk to one another in that time frame whether he's right or wrong it comes off very awkward it almost made me not want to talk about this like i was i was very i'm really into this concept i'm really into the story uh but certain choices done with the non-white characters throughout the rest of the stories felt fairly stereotypey yes uh especially because the vignettes were so small yeah and so you had like he like leaned on the stereotypes in order to articulate the situation the you know the and some of it's in the art too so i won't just bash david byrne but like uh you know the dialogue in the second story with the black couple and how they talk to each other and some of the phrases that he chose for the the black man to use felt a little bit forced uh the Second story, or the second mini story, I guess, the third story in the book, very clearly takes place in Japan. It's very clearly doing the, like, comic book, like, this is translated from Japan when they, from Japanese when they talk, uh, kind of thing, where you put it in the, like, pointy brackets. Yeah. Um, the Japanese family has, like, a statue of samurai fighting in their hallway, 
you know, it, it's like, uh, I, I, like, I understand. <laughs> I get that you were trying to make it unique to each one. Uh, and then the last one takes place with the Latin family and some of the, like, use of Spanish seemed a little forced. I don't know. Uh, just be careful with how you write non-white characters if you were a white writer yeah i guess is what i'm getting at because it can feel very forced it can feel very like stereotypy and it could be offensive this wasn't the worst that i've ever seen i've read some books even recently that depict people in very unfortunate ways uh women uh black people all kinds of different races minorities creeds and you know lgbt people like there are some people writing books right now that aren't representing marginalized groups very well it's happening and this one's not clearly not intending to do that you know what i mean like they're not intending to make a statement or make be prejudiced or make a stereotype just the way they delivered the character at times kind of stereotype and that's a thing that i think you're right i think authors need to be really aware of that in that we you know everyone really appreciates the concept of like making sure that you're being inclusive and you're incorporating minorities and you're bringing representation to the pages of your books like people want to do that but you need to be careful because if it doesn't feel organic or natural or like a real representation of the audiences that you're trying to represent then you can do more harm than good like if you can't represent a, a race or a culture or a group of people a community well yeah don't represent that it's true. Open opportunities for them to represent themselves. Like maybe an option that would have been cool is that, you know, they brought in different artists for these different vignettes. Maybe different writers should have been brought mm. in of these, you know, different races, these different communities yeah. to belonging, write. Belonging to the cultures right, that you were trying to represent. Were the ones to write it like, here's what the story is. Here's where I need the story to go. But you write it. You you give it the right flavor and the right, the right spin so that it feels organic and it feels natural. And that way, not only are you, you know, representing a culture or a race or a community in your book, but you're also opening opportunities for people in that culture race community to excel and succeed and and you know participate in art exactly so and like i said it wasn't like i didn't like cringe or throw the book down in a rage like it didn't it wasn't horribly insulting it was just kind of like eh. (laughs) you know it almost made me not want to talk about this and make it just an honorable mention but honestly the story was fun enough and the design of the book was fun enough that uh, it's worth mentioning because it was a cool way of telling a horror story and I hope David Byrne puts out more. I hope he does more like this. Yeah, it was a very uh, cool concept. It was, it was cool. I like I like that flow of the story. Uh, really harken back to the horror anthology movies that I from like the 80s that I love. Yeah, so, those are great. Uh, worth checking out. Really cool. Don't know what makes it a scout premiere. <laughs> Just call it a one shot. Weird. You know, it's like Scout presents Black Caravan presents a Scout premiere edition one shot spectacular 
just stop. Maybe they're just this ain't okay. Street Fighter. You you can chill <laughs> with the adjectives. Maybe they're just trying to find as many different ways to break up their website and make <laughs> more and more pages for more and more SEO. They're like, we are going to dominate yeah. comics on the internets like, with look, all of our various landing pages. Scout, homies, we, <laughs> you, Source Point, uh, Second Sight, uh, Behemoth. You're putting out so much. I don't need you also having like a bunch of different imprints and lines that you put out. Just, just scout comics. That's I was cool with Black Caravan. I was like, okay, they're dividing out their like their horror stuff. That's cool. And then you were like, and now Scoot for our kids' books. And I was like, okay, they're trying to be like boom and have like kaboom and you know. Uh, but hey, maybe slow down. <laughs> just a tidbit, just a teeny bit. Uh. There's nothing wrong with consolidating. Yeah. It's it's you could have just said black caravan canceled. There you go. Like Ta-da. you know what I mean? Like or hey. Canceled one shot. Done. Easy. Ta-da. It doesn't need the extra <sighs> scout pre- premium deluxe canceled <laughs> EX. <laughs> Gigamax, <laughs> like you, you can chill. Is saying. every book gonna have its own imprint? Yeah, yeah. This is our canceled imprint. <laughs> it's like no, it's just a, it's just a book. Huh. One shot. Anyway, pointless rant. <laughs> Surprise key issues, baby. Ta-da! Anyway, that's gonna do it for us. I hope everybody had a good week. Like I said. Uh, if you want more episodes of Cover B, sorry, I got distracted by lawn equipment. Uh, if you want more episodes <laughs> of Cover B, you can find them at coverbpodcast.com. Yes, and if you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Cover B Podcast. Gotta say, we got lucky, believe it or not. Because, yes, there has been ever present lawn equipment in the back, but this week, we have been fighting every day, multiple times a day, a raging car alarm just outside oh, yeah. of our house. It's true. I'm surprised that didn't go off during this episode. Consider yourselves lucky, audience. We still got a little bit of outro to do. There's still time. <laughs> You're going to hear, we're, we filmed the intro after the episode, so it's going to be like, hey, everybody, in this week's episode, burp, burp, burp. That's, we'll just leave that in. Anyway, thank you so much for listening again. I uh, hope you have a good weekend. Uh, glad we were able to get this episode out yes. to you guys, even though it's a horribly unprofessional episode, and I'm sure you'll never listen to another one again. So it was nice having you while we could. Yeah, thanks for stopping by for the short time. <laughs> you stay classy, San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> As always, I have been Chris. This has been T, yep. and you have been listening to Cover B. Bye, everybody. Bye.